Well, I am very, very excited about what the Lord is doing here at Calvary Baptist Church these days. Are you? It's amazing what God is up to, and we thank Him for His saving work among us. He is growing us to be more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and there's a, a vibe, a new vibe here at Calvary that I, I sense, we are all sensing, that, that God is on the move and He has great plans for us and that He has uh, presented to us the first fruits of, of, uh, of a new wave of people coming to know the Lord and, uh, and, um, and their lives coming into uh, conformity with who He is. And, and uh, this past weekend was no exception to that. In fact, it was a, one of the, the, the uh, I think, premier and highlight weekends uh, that I can remember in a long time. And we just give the Lord all the praise and honor and glory for that and, and thank Him for what He has done uh, in our midst. And, and uh, we had uh, attendance of just under 4,000 in the weekend and, uh, several, and 200 children who were here to... Uh, on Good Friday to hear of, of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so these are, are exciting days that we're, um, we're giving all the credit, of course, to the Lord and thanking Him for all this. And um, yes, we are. It's good to give a clap offering to the Lord Jesus Christ, for He is worthy of that and so much more. And um, uh, I want to thank each and every one of you who uh, work so diligently um, inviting people and being a part of the ministry and uh, laboring in a variety of different ministries here that uh, some uh, uh, go unnoticed but not unnoticed from the Lord. And uh, I also want to especially thank our music department uh, for the uh, outstanding work and the effort and the sacrifice that uh, they put into uh, each event like our Easter weekend because it is uh, a significant amount. There's a lot of singing that goes on in showers and uh, bedrooms and all of that throughout the, the, the months leading up to and families have to put up with this, you know, in their houses. And, and, uh, but it's, it's a glorious noise to the Lord and um, we, we so appreciate them. And for those of you who um, uh, haven't been a part of one of our events sort of on the inside preparation... Um, you wouldn't know this, but generally the dress rehearsals are, um, shall we say, reasons and causes for insecurity. Um, it, it's as if, well, it, it helps us because we cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, if this is the way it's going to be the next day, we are ruined. We are, it's a disaster. And, um, but he always, the Lord always comes through and pulls it all together and it's amazing. Now, but this year, and Pastor Steve remarked this, and I just want to share it with you. This year there was something different going on. And, and the dress rehearsal was not really a rehearsal. It was a worship event to the Lord. It went through without interruption, and it was as if the Lord was getting a pre-command performance of the weekend, and it was such a blessing, and, and it was really a sense that, that something different was up, and that God was very much at work. And, and in saying all of that, and thanking the music department, I certainly want to uh, particularly express uh, my gratitude uh, for Pastor Steve and the outstanding leadership that he gives us here in the whole department. And uh, Steve, Steve is such a rich blessing to me personally. I love that man, and uh, we uh, have such a great ministry relationship and friendship and brother-to-brother -brother relationship. And, um, and so I'm really grateful that we're here, and we have a great team. Um, but what you need to know is that uh, Pastor Steve's time has come around again, and it's time for him to go on sabbatical as well. 
And so uh, sometime in the month of May, he'll be disappearing for a, a couple of months. And we're going to miss him, but uh, pray that, uh, that others will pick up the responsibilities. God has gifted many people here to, to uh, lift up uh, praise and worship him. And, uh, but, but Steve will be on mission, uh, not only sabbatical, but on mission for our congregation, uh, visiting other churches and just um, seeing what the Lord wants uh, him to know and do and, and think about some things not to do, some things to do. And, and so pray about that, that he'll be, he'll be off to strategic places that will enhance and, and strengthen our ministry here in the coming days as we continue to see what God is, is up to. And, and uh, I think the best years are really, we're right in them right now, the best years of, of uh, our lives and with ministry here at Calvary. So it's pretty exciting. And I'm pretty excited. If you aren't, I am. So uh, I think you are, though. And I, I sense that in your hearts and your lives. What a great night we had last night. And Pastor Steve already talked about it. Uh, Calvin, Pastor Calvin put together a great, another great night of, of men's ministry. And uh, we really basically had our capacity here last night. Um, so it was really excellent. Over 250 men here, and uh, people brought their friends, and, and uh, with Paul Henderson, it was a great, just a great night. Well, um, when you consider all the social agencies there are around us, and all the various religious groups, and all the community organizations that we have in the GTA here and in the Durham region, the question that I think we should be asking ourselves is what do we have to offer in this marketplace of options? What makes, uh, what makes us uh, different or what, what, is the rich, what are the riches that we have that we need to highlight in our lives? And, and I, I think you all, uh, you all know we do have something, but that's what I want to talk about this morning is that we have an unmatched message. Uh, it's about the dead becoming alive. We have the message of the resurrection. It is a central message. Um, our big deal product as Christians is the resurrection. And we dare not take our eyes off of the significance of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what it means to us, what it means to our lives personally, and what it can mean to the lives of all the people in the Durham region here who we minister to, uh, among. One writer put it, put it in terms of the dividing line this way. Anyone can be sentimental about the nativity. Any fool can feel like a Christian about Christmas. But Easter is the main event. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you're not a believer. And he hit the nail right on the head. Unlike any hope that is offered in any social agency or in any, any other of the various world religious groups, or any other community organization, we are, have the offer of, of life now and forevermore. And that is an amazing, amazing thing that we have because of our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, went to the grave and rose again. And, um, and I want to talk to you about that this morning, the central message of Christianity in fact, Christianity is, as one writer states, a religion of resurrection. And that's what it is. Everything about what we believe and the truth that is recorded in the Word of God takes on profound meaning because and only because Jesus is risen. 
And that's the truth that we find, in fact, in Matthew 28, we're concluding our, our uh, uh, wonderful study that we've had in Matthew. I think you've all enjoyed it so much. It's been a, a blessing to our lives and has really moved our hearts and, and helped us to grow in, in a greater loyalty toward the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. But um, in, in this text of Matthew 28, which we're going to look at this morning, um, the... Uh, uh, women came to the, the tomb and, and there was that great statement that he's not here, he is risen. And uh, that is the good news of Christianity. That is a, the, the, uh, the valuable message that we have. It's the central reality of our Christian lives. And uh, so I want to read this text with you this morning then make some commentary and, and um, uh, trust that God will, uh, will inflame our hearts this morning with the excitement of this truth. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The number of times the word see is, is in the text here. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. In other words, they were there at the tomb. They were there when the angel showed up. Okay, they saw all of this. So, and then they, this is what happens. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of God. Our Father, this morning as the text is open and this great recounting of the resurrection story is before our very eyes, I pray, Father, that you would open up our hearts to this grand truth 
And that not only would it be a rehearsal of a historic reality and, and a story that we've known so many times, but Father, would it rekindle in us a new passion and a new uh, enthusiasm for what could be in our lives and what could be in the lives of people around us who we know who are lost. I pray, Father, that we might um, uh, realize that you have a, a great mission on your heart and you are looking, searching to and fro throughout all the world to strengthen those whose hearts are totally committed to you. Lord, I pray that you might not have to search very far when it comes to this congregation, but that you might find hearts here that are totally devoted to you and that you would strengthen our hearts and you would strengthen our hearts from your word this morning that we might truly and diligently serve you with a fresh passion, I pray. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the risen Lord Jesus Christ who has proclaimed to us by his resurrection that we will live as well forever and that we will rise from the grave and that, that we will be in the presence of the Lord forever and ever and ever. And oh God, we thank you for all of that. And I pray this morning that our hearts will really stir. I, I pray that you'd visit us like you visited those guys on the road to, to um, um, uh, Emmaus and that, Lord, our hearts would burn in, in us. Uh, for I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right. You know, um, there have been many who have suggested that the resurrection, of course, is a hoax. And um, I want to, to share with you this morning that there's no way that I can believe for one second that it's a fabrication. And I want to share a couple of thoughts with you, and then I want to... Uh, strengthen your heart with some truth here about uh, what Christ has, has said to us. But at the time of the resurrection, if you're paying attention to this chapter, you will notice that it had no human traction at all. The idea or the concept of resurrection, even though Jesus had taught about it and to, had told his disciples and all, it had no human traction whatsoever. There was no expectation that it was actually going to happen. Other than the, the pagan rulers who were concerned that something might happen. But that no one was looking for resurrection. In fact, if you look at verse 1, you'll see here that the faithful, it says here, went to look at the tomb. They're going to go stare at the tomb. I mean, I, I think we all understand that their hearts were broken. And that they were going there with broken hearts. And, and uh, they, they were going to just stare in disbelief and, and uh, bewilderment, I'm sure. But nevertheless, they weren't going to expect to see the resurrected Jesus. And, and it also, we also know that in John chapter 20, verse 19, it tells us that the disciples themselves were in lockdown out of fear. They weren't anticipating resurrection. The conspirators who actually witnessed the, the event, it, we know here, they, they, were, they shook and became like dead men, it says. And the conspirators invented an alibi for his missing body in Matthew 28, verse 13. And when the disciples emerged and saw him in Galilee, uh, in Matthew 28, 17, it says some of them doubted. Are you kidding me? Jesus is standing there right in front of them, and some of them looking at him, it says, doubted. Now, there was no human traction whatsoever for resurrection. This was not some grand human hoax, some grand human plan that, that was invented. In fact, these guys, the people here, they had no stomach to change the way they were living really at all in the sense of resurrection. They were not willing to risk anything. 
It was not normal to invent a, a story uh, about some sort of religious leader hero and then run around and, and get people to follow him if they knew it was a lie. No, what we find here really is, is the resurrection just dropped abruptly into human history. It was no human plan. And at Galilee, faith actually traded places with sight. Now, throughout all of the teaching of the Scripture, we know that the, the strength of our doctrine is predicated and founded on faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We know all of that. We, we understand that. We are saved by grace through faith. We, we know that. In fact, Jesus himself said, Blessed are those who believe in me and yet haven't seen me. But in this instance, in this one critical and important time, Jesus stands in front of his disciples. There was no faith required. This was all sight. Someday, when we get to glory, our faith will be turned to sight. We sing the great hymns of that. We'll see him face to face. They got to see him face to face after the resurrection. And so at that moment, something changed in their lives. We know it was strengthened later by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But something changed in their lives at that moment. It was no longer possible not to believe. Jesus had risen from the dead. And he was there, standing before them. Go ahead, touch my uh, nail-scarred hands. And so they saw him. And um, God, we, we see that, that we, we know that resurrection wasn't created by the church. It explains the church. Because these founding fathers of the church stood face to face with Christ. On that day in Galilee. Now we know that God has not put an end to dying. He has defeated death. And offered to all the gift of life. For the wages of sin is death. Dying happens. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, um, in this text, as Jesus gathered these guys in Galilee... He gives to them a final sermon as Matthew records it in his gospel. And um, as the Lord continues to present the gospel and the good news, some people respond to it. Some people take and receive the gift of salvation, the gift of God. And those who do obtain along with it three very, very significant and important things that I want to share with you uh, quickly this morning. Three things that, that grow out of the resurrection reality for us this morning. And the first is this, found in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, Jesus is in charge of everything. The new, uh, the, we receive by the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a new recognition of Christ's authority in our lives. This we call lordship. 
You remember throughout the um, ministry of Jesus, regularly the religious leaders were asking him, by what authority are you teaching these things or suggesting these things or commanding these things? Well, he makes this final statement in his final days on earth. I'll tell you what authority I, I have behind me. All authority. And the resurrected Christ stood before them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. Now, no one would make that kind of a sweeping statement unless they were making a statement of their divinity because only God has authority over the heavens and the earth. And there is no competitor. Jesus is standing here, not, he's not saying, I'm one brand option among many others. He is saying, whatever there is in the universe, whatever there is uh, anywhere in heaven and on earth, I am authority over all of that. This is a bold statement to make as he stands there, but what's particularly profound for us is what that means to us. He is making a statement of, of who he is and therefore who we are. This becomes an identity statement. This, this is our security. This tells us who we are. This tells us who we're related to because if we've come to faith in Jesus Christ, that means we've become children of the living God. He said to the women, go tell my brothers that I'll meet them in Galilee. We become family to the one who is authority over all heaven and earth. That puts us in a significantly important class of people in the world. That brings us into the family of the great and glorious God of the universe. I was thinking when I was, when I was preparing this, I was thinking about my own life and how we are as humans. And I was thinking when I was a little kid, I used to hang around. With, uh, with this kid in school, and his dad was the mayor of the city, mayor of Guelph. And I, I remember that we'd sometimes, and not only was the, he the mayor of Guelph, but he was also a, a radio disc jockey in, in CJOY, uh, AM radio in, in, in Guelph. And, um, and not only was he a radio disc jockey in Guelph, but he, he, all, he did all of the hockey broadcasts, all of the senior A uh, Guelph Regal hockey games. And so regularly, uh, my friend, Norm, would, would invite me to, uh, to go with them to uh, various things. And I'd be, I'd be like in the mayor's car riding around, hey, look at me. You know, hey, I'm in the mayor's car. I, I, I'm somebody important in this city, you know. I'm this little kid sitting in the back seat thinking, riding around with the mayor. You know, the police have to salute us and we get good parking spots. And not only that, I get taken up to the gondola in the rink and we get to sit with the radio broadcast. And I get to meet the people and the coaches and the players and things like that because he's an important person. And because he's an important person, guess what? I'm pretty important. Hey, look at me, you know. And, uh, and so uh, we used to have a lot of fun with that. But I got thinking about, you know, how important uh, we really are because of the important one we serve. And um, in terms of our identity, it is settled. It is settled. We are children of the most important being in all the universe. That we've been brought into his family. And so that brings certain implications along with it, doesn't it? It, it, if he has all authority, then we, we, we're called to obey him. That's what we're called to do. Uh, David's eternal kingdom is on, and he is claiming to have the exclusive rights to all authority. That's why we say Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Uh, he is Yahweh. He is the great God of the universe, and so we're called to obey him. 
In John chapter 14, verse 21, it says this, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he or she is the one who loves me. Now, we know that we are called to the, the great commandment to, to, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our body. And a lot, for a lot of us, we're saying, well, what does that really mean? What does that really look like? How do I love the Lord with all of my heart and all of my being and everything that's in me? Because we're used to love being a feeling. How do I feel that kind of love toward God? Uh, love's not really first a feeling. It's not so much a feeling at all. In fact, love is an action. It's not a feeling. Man, if you don't know that in your marriage by now and however long you've been married, then you need to learn that, that love is an action. And, and that's what Jesus says here. Love is action. You show me you love me, Jesus says, by the fact that you obey my commands. Let me read it to you again just in case you missed it. John chapter, um, John chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commands... And obeys them, he or she is the one who loves me. Jesus is basically saying, I have all authority, and, and I give you commands, and, and I'm calling you to obey them. And when you obey them, you're showing me that you love me. I know who loves me by who obeys my commands. That's simply the Christian life. That's how it works. And then he goes on to say this, he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him or her. So not only is all authority uh, uh, his, and therefore we should obey him, it's our act of legitimate love, but, but with authority comes all power. We have been granted all power. So I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters who I love in the Lord, uh, take your victory. That's what resurrection is all about. Now, I, I want to show you uh, something in the Bible here. Uh, Paul was writing to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3, and he's talking and praying for them that they might stand up under the pressure and the darkness, the evil and wickedness around them in Ephesus. And that is encroaching increasingly upon us as well in, in um, lightning speed. Our culture is slipping into darkness day after day after day to greater, uh, in, in a greater speed than, than I have ever remembered in my own life. And, and so Paul writes to these people in Ephesus and he, he mentions to them in verse 16, I pray that out of his, meaning Jesus, glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. In verse 18 he says, may... And uh, just before verse 18, 17 there, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now, what is this power that he's talking about? Well, if you, if you look in Ephesians chapter 1 and uh, verse 19, I think I'll start at verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his un incomparably great power for us who believe. And here it is. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. What kind of power do you have resident in your life? You have the same power that God the Father called into reality to lift Christ out of the grave and seat him in heavenly places. That's the kind of power in your life. 
Now, mankind has made a lot of significant power. I mean, we've, we've got some real power stuff going on out there. And with all of the massive power that we have been able to produce as humans, we have never, ever been able to raise someone from the dead. It's incomparable. That's why Paul calls it the incomparable power of God. That power, that same power is resident in every believer through the presence of the Holy Spirit to enable you to do what Jesus asks you to do. That power is alive in you because Christ is alive. And that power is called uh, to accomplish whatever Jesus calls you to accomplish. And so we as believers are called to have victory. Victory over our temper and victory over temptations and victory over addictions and victory over our faithlessness in our commitments and victory over forgiving someone who has hurt you dip deeply and we're to have victory to be patient with that hyperactive little kid that God has placed in your house. We are able, by the power of God, to live victoriously. It is so frustrating, I think, to all of us, and how distressing it must be to God the Father to have granted to us, inside of us, the resident power available to us, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, and for us to be defeated in our walk with Christ. We need to be able to experience that resurrection power. And if we're not, it's because we're refusing to obey the things of God. If we will obey, if we will choose to obey the Lord, He will empower us to say no to ungodliness and yes to Christ-likeness. Or else God is lying to us. I mean, it's either true or God is lying to us. And if it's true, we ought to be experiencing victory in our lives. And we can experience victory. We must experience victory. It is our resurrection testimony and witness to the people around us. There's no way that Christians should be living the same defeated lives as people who are lost. It's ridiculous. It's not right. We have the power. Now listen. What's the story? of Jesus all about. Well, it's his kingdom has come and his will is being done on earth. Christ has come to bring people into a saving relationship with himself and this is called discipleship to Jesus. Jesus is establishing his kingdom through all the earth. Jesus is on mission and he said to them in verse 19, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. By his authority, he has the right now to call us. Not only do we know our identity, who we are, but we know what we're called to do, what we're supposed to do. Our purpose in life is laid out for us here. This is what makes the, the Christian life so wonderful. There are all kinds of people out there trying to discover. I don't know my purpose in life. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I'm alive. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. We all know why we're alive, why we've been brought into the family of God, and what we're supposed to do. We're simply supposed to be making disciples. We're called to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's an agenda here. We are called to deliver the gospel to those Christ is saving. You and I, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, are predestined to be the messenger of hope to, uh, of the gospel to people that Christ is going to save. Christ has purchased people from every nation, every tongue, every creed, uh, every race to become his disciples. And we are called to, to 
bring that message of the gospel to them. So our agenda is to make people just like ourselves, who are passionate and committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our role in making disciples. After all, it's Jesus who saves them. He calls them in the kingdom. But we go around and we call people to allegiance and loyalty and passion and control, uh, to give over control to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because hopefully we have a witness and a testimony that, that legitimizes that by, we, by way we can go to people and say, I have given over control of my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I now uh, am loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ forever. That's who I am. And that's what making disciples is all about. We go to them and we call them to follow the king of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. We call them to salvation, to give over their lives. Many who you call to do this, Jesus will claim as his disciples. Uh, to a permanent life-changing overhaul of everything belong forever to Jesus. And the first sign of this, as Jesus said, the first sign that we're all in, that we've given over our lives and allegiance to the Lord and loyalty to Christ and control to him is baptism. Angie this morning, several weeks ago, gave her heart to the Lord and it just, he just put it on her heart that she needed to follow along on this and, and obey him and, and take that first sign and symbol and stand before God's people and confess that she truly follows the Lord Jesus Christ. She's given control over to him. She's now has a new loyalty, a loyalty to Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is. It, it's impossible for us to go and make disciples and, and to claim to be all in if we're not following along in the commands of the Lord. It, it, we can't stand before someone and say, well, you know what Jesus wants for you to come to him and be loyal to him and give over control to him? He wants you to be baptized and, and he wants you to learn to obey everything. So they turn to us and say, so have you been baptized? Well, no, but I, I might get around to it one of these days. You're not all in. Don't talk to me about these things. This is what this message is. Jesus has told us this first thing. It's the, it's the all-in t-shirt baptism. It is, I, I, am, I, am, I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. I belong to Him. That's what it's all about. And I want you to know that your placement in life is strategic, not accidental. Wherever you are, whatever family you're in, whatever neighborhood you're in, whatever workplace you're in, whatever profession that you're involved in, is strategically planned by God. And there you are called to make disciples. Where you are placed, in this room this morning, we're getting the, this good news to people who, for the most part, we all know this good news. But every one of you, when you leave this place, you go back to a neighborhood, you go back to families, you go back to workplaces, you go back to colleagues, and, 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 you, and, and think of the numbers of people that we influence and impact and have a relationship and, and, and uh, have some sort of uh, influence over. Think of all the numbers of people that come out of our uh, relationships that can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what making disciples is all about. You going where you are and telling people about Christ, what he's done and you are therefore a strategic plant by almighty God to be salt and light where you are now some, for some Jesus will call us out of our homeland and we'll have to go somewhere else but for others and for the most of us it's where we are it's where he's placed us that's our mission uh, pastor Nick Doyle is the is the greatest evangelist I know at this moment he is he exudes evangelism he he doesn't just, it's not just not about his neighborhood or his family or uh, his workplace. Well, he doesn't evangelize a lot at workplace because we're all saved. But, but uh, he, 
it's not just there. I was on a subway train with the man in New York City, and within minutes, he was already evangelizing. I'm like, Nick, tone it down. We're going to get killed here, you know? And then, uh, and then I realized, wait a second. All authority has been given to my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no better thing to be doing than turning this subway car into a church service right now. And, and that's Pastor Nick. He's like that. And I think Jesus has called us to be that kind of people who's just excited about Jesus and what we have in him and that we can't stop talking about him. We can't stop talking about the good news. We can't stop telling people about what Christ has done for us. Now, it's not just evangelism. It's alone. It's also conversion. Or it's conversion alone. It's also transformation. It's the whole package deal here of making disciples, teaching them to obey, helping each other to grow. That's what he's called us to. So finally, uh, we know who we are. We know uh, what we are to do. But the big question, the, uh, the, uh, the, the big third question is, how are we to do it? And Jesus says, I'm glad you asked. Because he answers the question right here halfway through verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. How are we to, we know our identity in Christ, we know what we're called to do, but why should we be confident, secure, and strong in doing it? Because Jesus says, I'm going with you. I'm always going to be with you. That's an amazing thing, and it's because of the resurrection truth. We serve a risen, living Savior. We serve a very personal God. It's a new experience of a very present and per personal God, the fellowship we have with Christ. When Jesus was introduced in the manger, they said, call him Emmanuel, God with us. And at the very end of Matthew, it's a beautiful bookend. Here we have the fulfillment of that promise, the promise that Jesus is Emmanuel. He will be with us wherever we go, whatever we do. He, it's about companionship. I am with you. When you go, Jesus says, I am with you. When you are baptized, Jesus says, I am with you. When you teach, I am with you. When you need power to obey, I am with you. When you need to grow, I am with you. Uh, when, you need, when you are struggling, I am with you. When you are in distress, I am with you. When all of your dreams and plans collapse, I am with you. When your health gives out, I am with you. When someone is persecuting you, I am with you. I am with you, I am with you, I am with you always in every circumstance. That's how we get to do this. We're not doing this alone. The resident power that raised Christ from the dead promises, he promises to be with us, personally with us. That's why we say that, that we have a personal Savior. We have a, a Savior who uh, Jesus said, I will send to you the Comforter. He is with us always, even to the very end of the age, when we are confused, when we sin, when we're hurt, when we rejoice. And when we fail, God is with us. So we have comfort always to bring courage and endurance because he suffered. And he understands our struggles. So who are we? We belong to the God of all the universe, Christ Jesus, all authority. What are we to do? Make disciples. Uh, bring people into an awareness of Christ that they might be loyal to him. And how are we going to do this? Christ is going to go with us. I think we're all feeling around here that we are in an important season of harvest. And for a while, for, for years we've been praying for this, but, but for a while we've been sensing even more urgency in our pastoral team. And uh, it came up that this year, there's going to be a Billy Graham evangelistic 
uh, event in the greater Toronto, in particular at the Air Canada Centre. And uh, we decided as a pastoral team that we as a church needed to be all in for this evangelistic outreach. Franklin Graham will come here in the weekend of September 14th and uh, it will be a great and a major, major evangelistic push and thrust into, uh, uh, into the whole greater Toronto. More than that, we believe that not only is it, this is not just an event, but this is a lifestyle. This is a, this is a call on our congregation to become uh, fishers of men and women, to become profoundly committed to the, to the uh, uh, spreading of the gospel. And so um, we have become one of only two sites to host as well uh, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association Christian Witness and Life Program, which is a comprehensive um, training program for teaching and giving us tools for how to reach people for Christ. Comprehensive in the sense that it runs three nights uh, in the month of May for two and a half hours each. And uh, it gives us a tremendous tool to uh, know how to, to go and, and really do what Christ has asked us to do. And we think that this is, a, 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 this is a strategic moment for our church to be involved in this. And we're calling you to. You'll find an insert in your bulletin. And uh, we are calling Calvary Baptist Church to be heavily engaged in this. Uh, there will be other people from the evangelical community joining us on these Wednesday nights. But uh, our heart's desire is that hundreds and hundreds of Calvary people will take advantage of this opportunity to equip ourselves to reach our neighbors and our friends for Christ. How many here believe that people need Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? How many people here have people they know who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Look at the harvest opportunity that's here for us. Jesus said, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. So I think it's really important and time, Calvary Baptist Church, that we learned how to fish. And that's what we're going to devote ourselves to this May. So you sign up and God will pour out a blessing on us, I believe, and on our region. And let's see East GTA, the hardest, by the way, the hardest soil in all of North America, loosened up and broken open for Christ Jesus, that salvation might come to our place. Let's pray for that. Father, thank you so much. We love you. We believe that you have a, a great plan in mind to reach many, many people now for Christ in uh, this, uh, this great harvest time. So I pray, Father, that, that we would engage fully as a church and that you would find us faithful. Lord, I, I asked at the beginning with that verse in Chronicles that you search to and fro, your eyes go out throughout the land, uh, searching for those whose hearts are fully devoted to you. Lord, I ask that our demonstration of our commitment to these things would, would, uh, would, uh, f you would be able to fix your eyes on us and find us faithful and strengthen us for the journey you've called us to, I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.